Thank you, Dean. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Hal. I am a grateful alcoholic. And as some of you know, I try to live an attitude of gratitude because I got so much to be grateful for. <clears throat> it's wonderful to stand. I like these raised platforms because I can see everybody in this room. See, I can count the people that go to sleep while I'm talking. That helps me with my humility. <laughs> I am deeply grateful this weekend for many, many reasons. Number one, for the privilege of being at this fantastic conference. I've been around long enough to know that these things don't happen. It takes work, that horrible, dirty four-letter word, W-O-R-K. I want to thank Gene, this Gene, and Jack, and Ray, and all the people here in the, in the San Antonio group has made this possible. And it has been a fantastic weekend. And thank you, gentlemen, for a job well done. I'm also, uh, I'm one of these alcoholics that loves to wallow in nostalgia. And I've been wallowing because I spent four of the happiest years of my life at a little place called Randolph Field, up the road a piece, as a flight instructor teaching flying during World War II. So it's been a fantastic weekend for me, and I hope it has been, I know it has been for most of you. The subject today is the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, this was printed, the original printing, in April 1939. I am well aware there's some people in this room that weren't even born in April 1939. <clears throat> and I'm aware that most of the people in this room weren't aware that this book was published in April 1939. But there were two medical publications that were aware, and I would like to quote them. They reviewed this book. And I think most of you are acquainted with these medical publications. One is a journal for nervous mental disorders. And here is their review. Alcoholics Anonymous. Works Publishing Company, Church Street Annex. $3.50. And here is their review of the big book. As a youth, we attended many experience meetings more as an onlooker than as a participant. We never could work ourselves up into a lather and burst forth in soapy, bubbly phrases about our intimate states of feeling. That was our own business rather than something to brag about to our neighbors. Neither then nor now do we lean to the autobiographical, save occasionally by allusion to point a moral or adorn a tale, as the ancient adage puts it. This big book, i.e. big in words, is a rambling sort of camp meeting confession of experiences told in the form of biographies of various alcoholics who had been to a certain institution and have provisionally recovered chiefly under the influence of the Big Brothers get-together spirit, unquote. Of the inner meaning of alcoholism, there is hardly a word... It is all on the surface material. Inasmuch as the alcoholic, speaking generally, lives in a wish-fulfilling infantile regression to the omnipotency delusional state, perhaps he is best handled, for the time being at least, by regressive mass psychological methods, in which, as is realized, religious fervors belong. Hence the religious trend of this book. Billy Sunday and similar orators had their successes, but we think the methods of Forel and Bluler infinitely superior. My friends tell me that Forel and Bluler are two behaviorists of those days. So that's what the Journal of Nervous Mental Disorders had to say about our big book. <clears throat> JAMA, JMA, had this to say. I'll call it synonymous. Price 350, New York Works Publishing Company. The seriousness of the psychiatric and social problem represented by addiction to alcohol is generally underestimated by those not intimately familiar with the tragedies in the families of victims or the resistance addicts offer to any effective treatment. Many psychiatrists regard addiction to alcohol as having a more pessimistic prognosis than schizophrenia. 
for many years the public was beguiled into believing that short courses of enforced abstinence and catharsis in institutes, quote, and rest homes, quote, would do the trick. And now that the failure of such temporizing has become common knowledge, a considerable number of other forms of quack treatment have sprung up. The book under review is a curious combination of organizing propaganda and religious exhortation. It is in no sense a scientific book, although it is introduced by a letter from a physician who claims to know some of the anonymous contributors who have been cured of addiction to alcohol and have joined together in an organization which would save other institutions, excuse me, save other addicts by a kind of religious conversion. The book contains instructions as to how to intrigue the alcoholic addict into the acceptance of divine guidance in place of alcohol in terms of strongly reminiscent of Dale Carnegie and the adherents of the Buckman-Oxford movement. The one valid thing in the book is the recognition of the seriousness of addiction to alcohol. Other than that, this book has no scientific merit or interest, period. That's what JAMA and Well, <clears throat> this morning we're going to take a little uh, different view of this big book. As you know, it was, uh, first of all, <clears throat> I'm not a big book expert. I go to a big book study group and I highly recommend it. We uh, started page one, and we go through it word by word, first 164 pages, and back again, and we continually learn. seems every time we go through the book, we find something that wasn't there before. So we continue to study the big book through my big book study group, <coughs> and uh, it is. Uh, see, when I sit at home in my bed or chair reading the big book, I bring one experience to that printed page, to that word, to that line. My big book group, there are 14 of us. So when I'm with them, they bring 14 experiences to that printed line, that word, whatever we're talking about, that concept. So I'm 14 times better off in my big book study group than I am when I read it alone. As mentioned before, published in 1939, <clears throat> Bill Wilson wrote most of it. He was helped or criticized or edited by some people out in, uh, in Akron. And there were a few changes made. The anti-God faction made him put in God as I understand him, as we understood him. And they made him take out the original uh, seven steps that humbly on bended knee asked God. And they made him take out the bended knee. They didn't think alcoholics that was getting too religious. So other than a few changes like that, uh, it was written in vain by Bill Wilson. First published April 1939. 35 years later, the first millionth copy rolled off the press in 1974. <clears throat> and if you remember, we got a little publicity. Uh, President Nixon was in charge, and the one millionth copy of the big book was delivered to him in the Oval Office by Dr. Jack Norris, who was the non-alcoholic chairman of the Board of Trustees. He's allowed to represent AA because he's not an alcoholic represent us publicly. And Dr. Jack presented uh, President Nixon with the big book, the one millionth copy in the spring of 1974. Now, if you've read the preamble here, we don't engage in any politics. We neither endorse or oppose any causes because, uh, so I can't make any comments about the political situation. However, I suggest that had President Nixon taken that big book home that night and read just the part on step 10, just up then. One little thing. And it took his inventory and admitted he was wrong. The history of the United States would be different. But he didn't. Anyway, <laughs> 35 years to get one millionth copy off the press. Second million took five years later. The second millionth copy rolled off the press. Three years later, the third millionth copy rolled off the press. And today, according to my friend Bob Pia at the General Service Office, they're rolling off at 2,500 copies every working day. That's about 650,000 every year. 
<coughs> two million every three years, and pretty soon it's going to increase to a million a year. Translated to 11 languages, distributed to 114 countries around the world. Fantastic, fantastic. Now remember, this book was written by Bill Wilson. <coughs> Bill's last drink was December 10th, 1934. He started writing this in, in, in 38. He had less than four years sobriety when he wrote this book. Less than four years. And here's a guy with no medical background, no religious background or training, no scientific training, no professional writing experience or background. And he wrote this fantastic first 164 pages. The wisdom in those first 164 pages with a man with no background in any of these fields is unbelievable. When you get home, look around your home group and look at some guy or gal with four years to write and try to imagine him or her writing this book. <clears throat> As Clancy says, I don't let anybody bring me coffee till they've been sober five years. <laughs> <laughs> but he did it. He wrote it with less than four years sobriety. Uh, <clears throat> look at it however you want to. But to me, it's by the grace of God. Another indication of the spiritual guidance that he received for this for this fantastic volume. <clears throat> what I'm going to do is that I'm not an expert. I'm not going to give you my interpretation of the big book. The big book doesn't need to be interpreted. It's all said right there in plain English. All I'm going to do is quote what I call signal sentences various sentences through the book that, in my opinion, illustrate, highlight the spirituality of this book. Because it is indeed a spiritual book. And as Chuck C., God bless his soul, I heard him, he told me and about 1,500 other people in the audience back in 64 that uh, everything I needed to know to solve any problem as long as I lived, any problem, not drinking problem alone, he said, Drinking problem, just put the plug in the jug. That takes care of the drinking problem. But most of us have living problems after we put the plug in the jug. And the answer to all those living problems, any problem I'd ever have as long as I live, was contained in the first 164 pages of the big book. <clears throat> I found that to be true over the years. The answers are all right there. So we'll start right here at the beginning, the title page. I was sober some months from my baby... Yeah, six or eight months. And I heard my sponsor, Tom Lovern, God bless his soul, say he was a recovered alcoholic. And I heard other people say they were recovering alcoholic. And I don't know what's going on here. And I got enough nerve up when I asked Tom about it. Hey, some people say they're recovering. You say you're recovered. What's what's going on? Well, it's semantics. So don't let it bother you. But said I get my A out of the big book. And he put the book out as he always did. Any question I have, he referred me to the book. So look at the title page, and here it is. Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. <clears throat> then he went over to the foreword, which is printed by, written by Bill, and it's been reprinted in each of the second and third editions verbatim. And here I will quote it for you. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So Tom says, I get my head of the big book, and Bill Wilson says we recovered, so I am a recovered alcoholic. Then he hastened to point out, said these alcoholics, they get things mixed up, and they confuse, they get semantic problems, said some of them might think they're cured, so to speak dispel this little myth. Bill has written over on a little later in the book on page 85. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So Tom says, that means to me, as long as I maintain my spiritual condition, I am a recovered alcoholic. So we could discuss a little more, and I'd heard Every meeting I'd ever been to, I guess, don't drink and go to meetings. Don't drink and go to meetings. So I read this little, and it's in italics, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So in my little alcoholic manifest, well, there must be at least a chapter on don't drink and go to meetings. That's all I've been hearing. 
So I started looking for the chapter on don't drink and go to meetings. And I asked Tom about it. I said, no, it isn't there. That exhortation does not appear in the first 164 pages. In fact, he explained to me, there's very little about drinking other than Bill's story. And the word meeting appears, I think, six or seven times incidentally. But there is no one of this don't drink and go to meetings. It just doesn't appear in the first 164 pages. So the obvious question is, what is this precise manner in which we recovered that these first 164 pages are showing other alcoholics? Well, a study of this book reveals it very clearly. Spiritual growth through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the precise manner in which we recovered and continue to recover. Spiritual growth through Alcoholics Anonymous through the 12 steps of this program is indeed the precise manner in which we recovered. So let me just cite a few of these, what I call signal sentences. Now again, I'm just citing a few of them. I could go on all afternoon reciting sentences here that show that the spirituality of this program. So I just picked a few that typify, highlight to me <coughs> the uh, spirituality of this fantastic program. Over here on page 24, and I'm sure some of you experts will say, well, why didn't you point out this one, or why didn't you point out that one? Anyway, here are just a few of the ones I think highlighted. Here, this is in italics on page 24. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Right on the next page, 25, he says, The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. You'll recognize that's the last of the promises in different words. That God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Over on page 39. But the actual or potential alcoholic with hardly an exception will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. And how many times have we seen people come to this program, especially physicians, these over overeducated drunks, and uh, self-knowledge availed us nothing. Absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. Page 42. Quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles would solve all my problems. I have since been brought into a way of living infinitely more satisfying and I hope more useful than the life I lived before. My old manner of life was by no means a bad one, but I would not exchange its best moments for the worst I have now. I would not go back to it even if I could. At the bottom of page 43, there's another terrific summation sentence. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. Here's a we agnostics, a chapter of the agnostics. <clears throat> when I read through the book the first time, I looked, well, I'm not an agnostic. <laughs> Skip over that chapter. Let's go on to that next one. Action. 
And in fact, I was a little resentful. I said, why didn't you write a chapter to the believers? He wrote one to the agnostics. I'm a believer. Why didn't you write one to me and the believers? And so I ignored the agnostics for the first couple of years, really. I ignored that chapter. Not till I got my big book study group. And ladies and gentlemen, we spent sometimes a month on that chapter. There's more wisdom. In that chapter on the agnostic, it's fantastic. <clears throat> right here on page 45, Bill starts out, Lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. That means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. And it means, of course, that we are going to talk about God. Period. Bill doesn't sugarcoat the pill. He lays it right out. Page 53, when we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade, we had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? And then we go into chapter 5, how it works. <clears throat> I don't have the time to go through the original draft of the original chapter 5. <clears throat> it was, a, I'm sure most of you have seen it. There was a one sentence that was in the original draft that they left out, and I've always, always wondered why they did. And here it is <clears throat> at the... Uh, Conclusion of the where God could and what if you were sought. There was one line that Bill had in the original draft and it read this way. This is after the three principles. Alcoholic could not manage our life, probably no human power could God couldn't, what if you were sought? This was the original next line. If you are not convinced on these vital issues, you ought to reread the book to this point or else throw it away. <laughs> Strong language, but I wish you'd left it in. I know if you've ever dealt with newcomers trying to convince them for a time, you thought like that. That expresses exactly what I wanted to get across. Throw it away. However, the uh, conservative element deleted that from the <clears throat> from the uh, final chapter five. Six to three is the third step prayer. Again, I missed that for a long time. God, I offer myself to thee, to bear with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help, of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Bill says, we thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. So there's step three. And I came in and told me, total acceptance of the first step and total surrender in the third step. It explained to me, I made a decision a long time ago. That's all the third steps required, make a decision. But I implement that decision every day of my life. I try to implement that decision as soon as I wake up every morning. And Bill goes on here in the next paragraph that we find it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person, such as our wife, best friend, or spiritual advisor. But Bill never paints us in the corner because there are a lot of AA members who suggest they take it with their wife, they'll jump out the window or something. My God, anybody but my wife. But Bill doesn't paint us in the corner. He says, but it is better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. So there's the answer. Take it with anyone you want to, but take it with someone. 
64. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And for most of us, financially. That's added. It's not in the book, but I added that. <laughs> Get spiritually out, spiritual life straightened out, and all these other things fall into place. <clears throat> in my morning readings, by the way, I heard earlier in the game, a guy named Cease Cargo, God bless him, everybody knows him, he's not anonymous. I heard Cease say this years ago about newcomers having trouble with prayer and meditation. Cease says, do what my sponsor told me to do, and Cease has been doing this for some 30 years. Every morning he wakes up, he gets out of bed, and he reads the third step prayer, page 63, the seventh step prayer on page 76, and the paragraph on page 86, which starts, On the morning I will do so-and-so. Reads those three things as prayer and meditation. So that's a good start. So, Cease sponsor told him to do that some, I don't know, 35 years ago, and Cease is still doing it every day, and it works. And I give that suggestion to newcomers who are confused about, how do you pray, how do you meditate? Try that for a starter. In my morning readings, I'm one of these, some are sicker than others. I have seven morning readings. Most people have one or two, but I have seven. Some are sicker than others. Anyway, among my morning readings is Odad. get a lot out of that. My wife's not an alcoholic, but I get a lot out of Odad. And speaking of resentment, I think it's June... I don't forget the day, June 2nd, somewhere in there. At the bottom of the ODAT page, they have quotes, various quotes from philosophers and so forth. There's a quote from Friedrich Nietzsche. <clears throat> and he says, No power on earth consumes a man more completely than the passion of resentment. No power on earth consumes a man more completely than the passion of resentment. Dr. Nietzsche knew what he was talking about. The number one killer, the number one offender. Then on page 65, Bill shows us exactly how to do step four. You hear discussions all the time. How do you do step four? How do you do it? Do you write it? Do you take it down? Sure it is. Exactly how to do it. Break it down to three paragraphs. Three paragraphs. And it's all explained in detail. And here again... <clears throat> I'm resentful at the person, the cause, and how it affects us. And over here on the third column, in italics, in parentheses, fear, 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 right down for every one of these resentments. Fear, the basic fear that we all, that at least this alcoholic has, the controlling emotion in my life while I was drinking. Fear, controlling emotion in my life. So it's all spelled out here exactly how to do step four. Some of our newcomers, well, not newcomers, some of the old-timers, I used to hear them say, well, now, don't, don't, don't jump into these steps too fast. Writing down step four might get you drunk. Writing all that stuff down there, ooh, bad, but take it easy now. Don't, don't rush into these things. There was a gentleman <clears throat> in Washington area. He was a, a, a brick mason. Dave used to say, uh, I don't go along with that. I said, I've had people... Come in and say, oh, don't write it down, you might get drunk. He said, I had a pigeon once. He said, oh, why'd you get it? You had a slip? Yeah, I wrote the fourth step down. He said, come here, buddy. Said, if you tell me what was in that bottle you were drinking out of, I'll tell you what got you drunk. <laughs> wasn't writing that fourth step down. That booze he was drinking. So uh, the fourth step, at least in our area, suggested, when is the proper time to take the fourth step? Our friend Sandy says the minute after you take the third step, the minute you made that decision to turn your will and your life over to God, care of God, take a pencil and start writing the fourth step because God wants you to work this program. And he's not going to write it down for you. So that's the time to take the fourth step. People says, ask Sandy, how long does it take to write the fourth step? It says usually about four years and 30 minutes. Four years to get ready and 30 minutes to write it down. <laughs> And here on page 69, a little guidance about sex. 
<clears throat> now, I heard an old-timer say this at Ray Baxter. He didn't know whether Bill Wilson had a sense of humor or this was a coincidence, but he puts his sex lecture on page 69 of the big book. <laughs> Here it is. Then we have voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow man no flavor for his fare, and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We won't stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? We have reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom did we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. God alone can judge our sex situation. God alone can judge our sex situation. Page 75, I was told after a couple of years, someone uh, ran to close me on step seven, excuse me, step five, step five means someone said, have you taken your step five checklist? And I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Look at page 75 in the big book. There's a seven point checklist to see if I've taken step five properly. And here it is in page 75. We pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step, step five, withholding nothing, and here are the seven things that should happen to me if I have taken step five in depth properly. We can look at the world in the eye. We are delighted. We will be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we're on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. And then over on page 76 of the seventh step prayer, the other prayer I mentioned earlier. <clears throat> when ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Bill says, we have then completed step seven. <clears throat> As you will note, Bill's only had one short paragraph on step six and another short paragraph on step seven. And he was asked, back in the old days when GSO was on 305 East 45th Street, <clears throat> one of my friends asked, what do you give? very short shift to step six and seven. They said, oh, deadlines, deadlines, deadlines. They were pushing him to get the book. Push him to the manuscript of the printers. He said, however, we read the, the 12 and 12, we amplify step 6 and 7 both in 12 and 12. So if you think you need a little more knowledge on 6 and 7, the big, the big book doesn't have, jump into the 12 and 12 because it's all right there. Then 77, a real signal sentence. <clears throat> we hear a lot about our primary mission. <clears throat> primary mission is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve a primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. We hear that every night when they read the preamble. There is a real purpose. Now that's the primary purpose. Stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. But on page 77, Bill spells out the real purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous. And here it is, page 77. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us, 
doesn't say the alcoholics about us. They're included, of course, but the people about us. Our real purpose is to be of maximum service to God and everybody. The people about us. Then here are the promises. I was in California. It's my first trip out of the uh, East Coast. I'd forgotten sober. 65, I guess. I heard someone speaking of the 14 promises. I'd never heard of them. I'd read the book. I'd never seen 14. 14 promises. I ran home and looked and tried to find some place where they were listed. You know, they aren't numbered anywhere. Somebody gave me the page, and so I started coming back to Washington and started having closed meetings on the 14 promises. And a friend Xeroxed the 14 promises. You take them and split a couple of things, you get 14 things. Anyway, for a few years, we're talking about the 14 promises in the whole Washington area. I went to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan at an A conference. And after the sitting around coffee after one of the meetings, I was uh, sharing, bragging is the word, about AA in Washington. <clears throat> I have a hard time delineating between sharing and bragging. I, sometimes I fall and <laughs> cross over there without realizing. At any rate, I was sharing with him about how, what wonderful day we had in Washington, how we, a lot of meetings on the 14 promises, and the, my Canadian host said, the what? The 14 promises. My God, haven't you Yanks learned how to count yet? There are 12 steps, 12 traditions, 12 concepts, and 12 promises. And I had to agree, it didn't make sense. And he showed me how you <coughs> take the, uh, the first sentence in there, we found a new happiness, new peace, and split it in two and have 12 promises. Very simple. So I thought that was great. Came home, <clears throat> got home on a Sunday night, opened the mail Monday morning. Here's a new grapevine. One of the subjects in the grapevine was the 11 promises of Alcoholics Anonymous. I boy, boy, boy. The reason is there are 11 sentences. That's where he gets the 11. And I don't know where they got 14. They split three sentences, made 14 out of them. But I, most of us now talk about the 12. Because just split the first sentence in two and you get 12 promises. <clears throat> Sitting around a meeting. This is just the last few years. Someone was talking about uh, the codes. And most people have codes. The code of honor, West Point, and honor, integrity, and all that. I think A should have a code. And some guy, there's always one. Said, look on page 84 in the big book. It wasn't I or somebody else. And here it is, page 84. Love and tolerance of others is our code. There it is. Love and tolerance of others. That's the AA code. And here's the, I quoted this earlier. It's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We're headed for trouble if we do. For alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of will. Now, many of us here, the self-will run right, and willpower is always spoken of in a derogatory sense. No, no, Bill said it's the proper use of will. We misused our will. That was our problem, a misuse of willpower. Willpower is fine if we use it properly, and here is the proper use of will. Faith without works is dead. That's one of the final lines in page 88. And my sponsor told me, willingness without action is fantasy. And he pointed out how willingness, we hear about willingness, got to be willing, got to be willing, that's fine. But willingness without action is fantasy. And he pointed out in chapter 5, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, there's the willingness comes first, then immediately you're ready to take certain steps. There's the action that goes to the willingness. And in step eight, made a list of all we had harmed and became willing to make amends. There's the willingness, comes first, but immediately in step nine, made direct amends. There's the action that goes with the willingness. It is indeed a program of action. I was told I was the action officer. 
the opening sentence in chapter 7, working with others, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when all other activities fail. If you're having trouble, your life isn't going properly, as we say, get a wet drunk. Get a hold of a wet drunk. And it helps me get outside myself, forget my little seemingly bad days, these seeming problems. Outside of self. Page 98, <clears throat> another signal sentence. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. If you've been around long, you've heard these new cars. Well, I, I could get sober if I get a job. I get sober if stay sober if my wife took me back. If, 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 if. Bill says no. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man and woman. He or she can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trusts in God and clean house. The only condition to get well is to trust in God and clean house. <clears throat> I've forgotten who was it. Love God, clean house, help others. <clears throat> Someone said a six-word uh, summary of the program. And uh, Sam Shoemaker... God bless his soul, one of the first five non-alcoholics who uh, Bill said he couldn't get along without them. Sam said, summed it up in seven words. Out of self, into God, into others. There's the AA program. There's the spiritual principles enunciated in the 12 steps of this program. Out of self, into God, into others. There's the program, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Bob, of course, summed up in two words, love and service. So there you have it for us. Six words, seven words, two words. <clears throat> Here people talking about, I wonder what God's, you hear discussion here, that God's will. Every 11th step meeting talk about, what is God's will? Page 133. Here it is. God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. There it is. That's God's will for me. God wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. And Bill says, we cannot subscribe to the belief that this is, though it was once just that for many of us, but it is clear that we made our own misery. God didn't do it. Avoid, then, the deliberate manufacture of misery. And I was taught early in the game with a heart full of gratitude that you made me Misery is optional. Misery is optional. I can have a heart full of gratitude no room in my heart or my life for all these horrible things that make life miserable. So here Bill puts in different words, but indeed misery is optional. If I keep a heart full of gratitude, there's no room in my heart or my life for anger and fear and guilt and misery. Now, most of the miseries of our own making, God didn't do it. So, God's will for me is to be happy, joyous, and free. Then there's another sentence over here in the preceding, uh, preceding page, 132, which I love to quote. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. And as uh, I've heard many times, and I've studied this big book, and most of you have, and there's nowhere in this book that says we can't go first class. Nowhere it isn't in here. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. So don't ever be ashamed of going first class. I'm running out of time and I want to get to... Oh yeah, we're on page 152. We know about the 11, 12, 14 promises. We discussed those, but here's some hidden promises. You don't hear about them very often. Over here on page 152, Bill is talking to a newcomer, and he's trying to convince him, and finally Cooper says, yes, yes, okay, okay, Bill, I'm willing, I'm willing to go along with your program, but am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see? I know I must get along without liquor, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? And Bill says, yes. There is a substitute, and it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find release from care, 
Release from boredom and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find a fellowship and so will you. Fantastic promises. Fantastic. Then, page 164. You Californians are well aware of this. They close a lot of the conferences in California, every meeting with this paragraph from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. You heard about the two steppers? Step one, step twelve. Uh-uh. You can't transmit something, transmit something you haven't got. All twelve steps. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. So that's the first 164 pages. As I said, let me run through this. Once a year, more often we go through the the stories because there's a lot of wisdom in these stories. And we have a good example here sitting on the second row. The Paul story, and you're in the third edition. I don't know. I heard this on the... I'm fortunate enough to travel around the country. This has been going on the West Coast for a number of years. Paul's story here, Dr. Addict, Alcoholic Addict. At a closed discussion meeting, the leader says, have you got any problems? And there are 15 people sitting on the table. And someone will put up their hand. Problem with acceptance. Page 449. Next. There ain't bother discussing it. <laughs> that is appearing now on the East Coast, Paul. Your fame is spreading. Any problem with acceptance? Page 449. Next. Go right on. But Paul says it all, starting on page 449. I won't take the time to read it, but believe me, I read it just recently again, and it is fantastic. Paul says it better there than I've ever heard it said anywhere else. Then over on 552. Here's one of my favorite, another of my favorite stories, where the lady, it used to be the last story in the second edition, Freedom from Bondage, it's the second to last story in the third edition, and it's about a lady who had a resentment, and she had this resentment for 25 years, it was against my mother, page 551. It was against my mother, and it was 25 years old, a resentment for 25 years. I had fed it, fanned it, and nurtured it as one might a delicate child, and it had become as much a part of me as my breathing. It provided me with excuses for my lack of education, my marital failures, personal failures, inadequacy, and, of course, my alcoholism. And though I really thought I had been willing to part with it, now I knew I was reluctant to let it go. One morning, however, I realized I had to get rid of it, for my reprieve was running out. And if I didn't get rid of it, I was going to get drunk. During the day, a friend of mine brought me some magazines to take to a hospital group. I was interested in, and I looked through them, and a banner across the front of one featured an article by prominent clergyman in which I caught the word resentment. He said, in effect, if you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you don't really want it for them, and your prayers are only words, and you don't mean it, go ahead and do it anyway. Do it every day for two weeks, and you will find you have come to mean it and want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, 
you now feel compassionate, understanding, and love. That was brought out to me my second year in the program. I had a big resentment against an old time from New York City where I came in the program. And they told me, my sponsor, okay, two weeks, on your knees every night, pray for the best thing. I hate the SOB. Pray anyway, pray anyway. And I did. Two weeks, one, one. Nah, still hate the SOB. So some are sicker than others. On your knees again every night. I prayed, I think, two months, maybe two and a half months. And sure enough, he didn't change. I changed. Came to realize where I felt bitterness and resentment and hatred, I now feel compassion, understanding, and love. And that gentleman is still one of my closest friends in AA. It works, ladies and gentlemen. It works. And here in the final paragraph of that, <clears throat> oh, another beautiful sentence. The only real freedom a human being can ever have, this is page 553, the only real freedom a human being can ever know is doing what you ought to do because you want to do it. When I came in this program, I, like most of us, went to AA meetings because I was told to go. I ought to go, and I went. And I went for months, months, because I knew I ought to go. And one day, I don't know, ask me when, I realized I was looking forward to meeting, and I went because I wanted to go. And I tasted this real freedom. Real freedom. And the day you start doing what you ought to do because you want to do, you have tasted real freedom. Then your final word here, I get everything I need in Alcoholics Anonymous. Everything I need, I get. And I get what I need, I invariably find it was just what I wanted all the time. And I thought about that, and my God, that explains a lot of things. When I was drinking, I was an Air Force jet pilot. Had the best job there was in the Air Force. Drank it all the way. Remember the fact of the National War Card. Drank it all the way. If you'd ask me then, why are you drinking so much? And well, I haven't been promoted. If I got promoted, I'd be sober. If I had some more money, I'd be sober. More power. And that's what I said I wanted. That's what I needed. I needed promotion, money, power, prestige. That's what I needed. That's what I wanted. Psychiatrist, I mean, alcoholics anonymous. Thank you. Thank God bless him. And here, I didn't get any money. I didn't get any promotion. I didn't get any power, prestige. I got peace of mind. That's exactly what I wanted all the time. And they gave it to me. Thank you all for listening. God bless you.